You know, the content we absorb in life can stir up a variety of responses in people. Sometimes we hear something or, or see something, we're like, yes, I'm all for that. Sometimes it's like, you know, thank God that is not talking about me or referencing me. Sometimes, you know, we get that sting and it's like, wow, I really wish that wasn't talking about me. It happens whether we're talking about stuff that we see on social, uh, things that are going on in the news uh, that we read in a book, maybe that we hear talking with a friend at the coffee shop. In today's words that we're going to look at, they're Jesus' last words to his friends. And we can read these, what, four or five verses and bring all three of those responses to bear and get us to switch up as the words go along. You know, last week we talked about Paul making a big ask when he says in Romans 12 about offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, as a spiritual act of worship. Today, it's Jesus' turn to make the big ask. This won't be an idea that we can push off on somebody else. That's one thing. Nor does it have to be so scary that we want to. Check it out. These words out of Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. goes like this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Now, given that this passage is often titled the Great Commission, it's easy to see how people would react in different ways. Simply, sometimes the fact that it is written with a capital G, great, can get people to freeze up and go all deer in headlights. Or they see this as a call to evangelize the world and they're like, well, okay, I can't do that. Either way, it can be easy to kind of get lost in the idea of where do regular old people fit? In this calling especially when it seems there's so much emphasis that gets kind of wrongly put on go like every pastor who has gone after this is like go 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 it's all about the go it can kind of make a christian feel like their mission is second rate because they're not getting shot at in some remote part of the world are missionaries generally a sacrificial people group absolutely do they need our prayers and our support Absolutely. Does their work have more kingdom value than a mom or a dad who teaches their kids to read the Bible or to pray? Absolutely not. By all means, missions are an important part of our faith, but we can more fully and more comprehensively read the words that Jesus is saying if we were to think of it as, as you are going. Here comes, here's where the real commissioning comes. Go and make disciples. As you are going, make disciples. That is the goal. What is, so what does that look like? Well, here's an example. I've had the blessing of getting to do a number of weddings, uh, particularly for friends of mine, over these last 10 years or so. And what if I told the couple, as I'm given the wedding message, said, this day is as good as it's going to get. There's no room for your relationship to grow now that you are getting married. It's all downhill from here. That sounds dismal at best. That's what 
evangelism. That's what mission looks like without discipleship. That's, I prayed the Jesus prayer and stop. You know, Jesus often says, he said like over 80 times, he uses this phrase, follow me. But every time he uses it, it's not like follow me once and stop, but follow me and keep following me. So the goal isn't of missions, of evangelism, of things like that, isn't just win souls or, or get people to convert or whatever, but to make disciples, to make learners, to make pupils. That's what those 11 that are still following Jesus at this point in the story say, or what they are. They're learners. They're students of Jesus. That's the definition of a disciple, a learner. So Jesus calls us, and there are many different, we could take, break this passage down into about a million different pieces and have a message on every little section of it. So I'm not quite diving into every single part that we can. But he says to make disciples of all nations, of all people. See, salvation isn't just for the Jews anymore. The gospel belongs to the Gentiles as well. It's one more way that Jesus is flipping expectations on their, on their side because the Jews that are hearing this and experiencing this for the first time, they might think that as God's chosen people, they are the only ones who get to hear this good news. Not so. Thankfully, for at least my sake, being, not having been raised Jewish, but thankfully as well for the people that we are called to share the good news with, the gospel with. And we're called to make disciples by teaching. Sometimes that means, yes, teaching by instruction, uh, kind of the garden variety form of teaching where we help people to deepen their understanding of who God is and what God does and how God works. Sometimes it's that we're called to teach by example. You know, Consider the image of an apprentice, which was a, a big-time image, especially back then. When maybe you're learning a craft, uh, here's, the, again, the place where a disciple would fit. You're learning a craft. You're a disciple of the, the one that you're under apprenticeship with. And they learn by imitation. Uh, another translation of Matthew 28, 20 that I read, actually this one's out of ESV. It reads like this. It says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age teaching them to observe, to pay attention, to imitate the things that I have commanded you. How we practice our faith can be a habit, again, good or bad, but what will it look like if people imitate what we do, if they learn by watching us? Because here's the thing, especially to the Christians that are are seeing this, people are watching, people pay attention to is our faith more than just words? Is it something that we live out or is it just a rhetorical dance? But here's the thing to all the breakdowns of this idea, particularly about the idea of teaching. What if as I you know, give a, a teaching or a message each week, what if I taught my church or taught you like this? Now, 
Now, understanding my audience a little bit, as far as those that are seeing me in person or seeing me here online, I'm probably gonna get about 98% of you to go and comment, yeah, no, that's not gonna work for me. Maybe there's even some that'd be like, you know what, I get how to use these and nows and how to end every third word with ETH, with eth, but no, this Hebrew thing, no. uh So why don't I teach like that? Here's the truth. Admittedly, I'm a little bit rusty on my Hebrew, but I pay attention to the fact that most people I know don't know Hebrew. That's a pretty significant observation that guides how I choose to teach. Here's one of the things that we are taught as uh, on the, the team of karate instructors that I'm a part of is one of the biggest challenges that we have in presenting uh, a new technique or a new uh, move or something like that is finding the cultural connection. Now, oftentimes, cultural connection is, there's an age difference between us as instructors and the people that we're trying to teach. But finding something the audience knows that connects them, that connects the new thing, that connects to the new thing that we're teaching. Maybe it's a, a scene out of a movie. Maybe it's a, a character. Maybe it's a book that people have read. And we often get hung up, or I at least will often get hung up as I'm kind of with the team and we're, we're practicing teaching. And I might come up with a cultural reference and the instructors are like, you know what, that'll work great for adults, but remember, you're teaching 8 to 12-year-olds, this kind of stuff. So the culture is different. Your references are going to be different. Your connections are going to be different. If we're called to help others learn or grow in their faith, be it a neighbor, be it our children, be it our grandchildren, be it a friend. Here's the thing. Brain science knows that learning goes up exponentially if we connect new information to stuff that we already know. Rather than just trying to dump new stuff in without any connection. Jesus was an expert at this. Matthew's Gospel, where he is writing to a Jewish audience that has this long history, he, it's constantly filled with this phrase, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, a, uh, a, a jewel that has been lost, um, stuff like that. All these different references, all these different connections, um, metaphors that it gives to take this broad and kind of ethereal idea and connect it to something that they know and that they can visualize. Paul, we had talked about him a couple of weeks ago in Acts 16, um, where he is delivering the gospel news, growing the church at Philippi to three different people. And he is the same message, but he has different deliveries based on the person hearing it, making different kinds of connections based on his audience. Now, beyond the idea of watering down the message, which is something that just never goes anywhere good, we can try too hard at this to make connections. Here's a pretty Extreme example. God forbid we were ever to try it. Check it out. Good morning, TPS students. It is testing week and it's time to slay all day. Yeet. Stay woke, be on fleek, and get that Gucci breakfast. Goals. Say bye, Felicia, to that testing stress. Weather's going to be turned, right, Chris? Yes. Toledo weather going to be V-lit during testing week. 
a hundo P chance of success. You've got this, kids. Steve, how about that traffic? Are we looking oh better than oh we're talking turn FOMO won't be an issue. No traffic problems around any TPS schools to keep you from taking those tests. So get a good night's sleep. Do your best. In fact, be extra extra. We here at WTOL are be proud of you. Good, good luck, luck on, on your, your test, test TPS, TPS students. Last week I had mentioned some head scratching ideas that just be, make you go, what in the world? That's the about the kindest reaction we might get. If we tried doing, uh, tried connecting with people the way those newscasters do, I hope they were doing it as a joke, and understandably so. I mean, we can't be something that we're not. Let's just be honest. People see right through that. It's honestly one of the strengths of the generations that are coming up, behind me at least. That's why I am not up front or on camera in skinny jeans or Drake t-shirts trying to, trying to look like something I'm not. So how do we learn how to do this if we're not going to go quite to that extreme? If we value growing ourselves and helping others to do the same, for the Christian, if we value what Jesus tells us to do, then it starts with listening. Again, we could dive into a whole series of just how to do this, so I'm just going to hit this one idea. But note what I'm saying. It starts with listening, and listening isn't just waiting for your turn to talk. See, when we listen to learn ourselves, because, hey, you know, as people who are helping others go, we're trying to learn ourselves. As we listen to other people, we start to develop a greater toolbox to make those connections that I was talking about, to understand our audience so that if we have something new to, to teach them, we have a, a way of connecting it to something that they already know or to something that's already a part of their lives. Speaking of context, uh, theologian Bar Karl Barth said, take your Bible and take your newspaper and read both, but interpret the newspapers from your Bible. So whatever our thought might be on the culture that the news speaks about, how do we use our Bible to interpret it? Well, it starts with the person on the other side of the conversation. The, the person we're helping to grow. A person who, wherever they are on the faith spectrum, wherever their life has taken them so far in the past, a person who was created, who was loved by God, by the very God who created, loved, and saved you. By the very same God who gave us this commission as his last words, as his going out words. So here's my challenge to you. And I'm going to say this as two different um, challenges, depending on where you sit on the faith spectrum. If you're not a Christian, and if that's you, you know who you are. And, and all right, if that's the case, hey, thank you for staying along this far into the message. Answer this question for, for yourself. Who do you think Jesus Christ is? And here's the, the, the two story. Why do you think that way? Whatever it is that your answer is, um, I've heard plenty of them. Um, right, wrong, indifferent, whatever. Who do you think Jesus Christ is and why do you think that way? And here's... Here's the challenge, I guess. Share that thought with a Christian friend. Give them the chance to learn from you. Now, 
I'm going to give kind of a, a separate challenge, next steps, if you will, to my Christian friends that are out there. First off, if you have a non-Christian friend who actually goes for this and shares what their thought is, learn from it. Hear, hear what they're saying. Ask them questions about why do they think this? How, you know, not to try and argue, but just to try and learn where it is that they're coming from. Maybe they'll be the place where you can connect with what they're saying. But if you've been around the Christian block for uh, however long, I want you to do this. Take a Christian concept. And I'm going to suggest the concept of grace. Because if we nail down how to do this with grace, it's going to go a long way. And, and work out this challenge. How would you explain grace to a five-year-old? Here's the thing. It's going to force you, you know, maybe if you've been around the church, uh, the Christian block for a number of years, maybe you know all the big words. Well, if you're explaining it to a five-year-old, it forces you to take them all out. If you grew up, you know, a generation or two beyond me, all of a sudden you can't reference party lines, you can't reference sock cops because the five-year-old is just going to look at you like, what? I look at you and go, What? Here's the thing. It not only grows your toolbox to help others grow, like Jesus tells us to do, but it will help you grow to work through that, to think, how do I explain this idea in a way a five-year-old is going to understand it? It will help you when you, you get past all the $6 words and all the all the the ivory tower stuff, it'll help you to fall more in love with the one who gave his life to give you grace. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for trusting us with such a high calling to not only grow in our faith ourselves, but to help others to grow through discipleship, to help others connect to you. Help us to do it well. Help us to do it faithfully and courageously. It's a high calling, so help us to step up to the challenge. All this we pray in your name, knowing it's only through you that we can accomplish this mission. Amen.